This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is George Scott, the Editor-in-Chief of Bike Radar, and today I'm joined by Jack Luke, Deputy Editor and Bike Radar, and Simon Von Bromley, Senior Technical Writer and BikeRadar.com. Jack, I'll start with you. How are you this morning? I'm tremendous, thank you. I'm delighted to be talking about one of my favourite topics in today's podcast. Excellent. Well, we'll get on to that in a second. But Simon, how are you? What have you been up to in the last couple of days? Yeah, fine. I'm glad that this winter has taken a turn for the warmer. (laughs) Good. Well, you've teased what's to come in this podcast. It's uh, it's mid-February here. It's Winter Cycling Week on Bike Radar. And over the past week, we've been covering all things winter cycling. Head over to the site if you've missed that, because we've got tons of winter-related content from reviews and buying guides through to riding advice. So what better time than to bring together two of Bike Radar's most experienced winter riders, but two people who in recent times have taken quite different approaches to winter. Jack being a diehard winter rider and Simon balancing both indoor and outdoor riding. Before we get onto the podcast, Jack, how has your winter been this year? Yeah, really good. I've done a lot more riding than previous years and a bit more consistently. And just this past week, I enjoyed a wonderful three-day mid-January tour with Bike Radar's video manager, Felix Smith, in Wales. And it was wonderful. A really good little mini holiday, an unexpected time of year. Yeah, I love winter riding. (laughs) (laughs) You've really rubber-stamped your credentials there. Um, Simon, how about you? I know, as I said, you balance both indoor riding on Zwift and outdoor riding. What's the uh, the balance been for you this winter? Yeah, not too bad. I I have done plenty of indoor riding, but I also got um, a gravel bike built up just after Christmas. And I've been out on that. And I've been surprised. Obviously, you know, I say gravel. It's very much, it's it's really a mud bike for 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 the UK winter. But I've been surprised how much I've, you know, kind of once you, once you get it, you christen it and you get it dirty. I've been surprised how much I enjoyed, you know, kind of getting into muddy lanes and, you know, even like kind of going through massive puddles at the bottom of, the bottom of lanes and getting my feet soaking wet and you know because you're going slower there's not that same wind chill it, you will you know we'll talk a bit more about this later but i've been really enjoying it so yeah I, I have done a little bit of outdoor riding doubtless you enjoyed cleaning up as much as you enjoyed going out as well as a... <laughs> well i enjoyed the i enjoyed it being clean after <laughs> i cleaned it up <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that'd be a good topic to dive into in a future podcast. We finally got you over to the dark side into into gravel riding. Jack and I are both keen gravel riders. So yeah, you've uh, swapped slick tyres for knobbly tyres this winter. 
Well, we've got six winter cycling tips to take you through. Before we do get started, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Leave us that five-star review if you rate the podcast. It really helps us to get the pod out to more people just like you. So let's get cracking. Jack, I've got your first tip here. And in your notes, you've said to avoid sweat at all costs. So why is sweat your enemy in winter? Well, I I definitely suffer, especially from this. I'm kind of infamously sweaty amongst my uh, friends. And unfortunately for this prolific perspirer, sweat is the enemy of remaining comfortable in winter because the whole purpose of sweat is to keep you cool when you're hot. And that will work absolutely wonderful winter time when you're climbing some hard hill of keeping you lovely and cool. But with that wind chill effect, coming down the descent on the other side will cool you right down to the very, very core. Now, I do jest about how sweaty I am because I am a very sweaty man generally when I'm riding. But years and years ago, I read a really good article uh, by Andy Kirkpatrick on UK Climbing, kind of climbing website based in the UK. And, and it was about 10 tips for staying uh, warm in the winter. And he had really, really good advice that pointed back to sort of polar explorers and native people in the kind of north of the world who kind of understood for a very long time that sweat is the worst possible thing for winter. It's a really good read. I recommend you look at it. But it made me think quite critically about how I layer in winter to avoid getting sweaty at all costs. Because, yeah, if you want to stay warm in winter, being soaking wet with your own perspiration is the best thing to make you nice and cold. <laughs> you know, having ridden with you, Jack, it's always funny to see how, you know, I will be there in sort of you know a winter base layer, a winter jacket, a jacket on top of that jacket, two pairs of gloves, yeah. as an example. But then I look over at you and you're like, oh, it's very hot today. And you'll have unzipped your <laughs> your one layer, your soft shell yeah. jacket. And then I'll un- peeking out from underneath, I see your summer base layer. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know the sort of biomechanical reasons behind it, but there are people like me out there. Felix Smith, who I mentioned, is a, is a fellow Celt and fellow sweater. Uh, and we ride together quite a lot, I think partly because nobody else wants to listen to us moan all the time about being too hot. But it is true, like, you never get too hot in the winter, whereas I really suffer a great deal. Um, and to sort of tackle this, I, this, this is behavior which I would describe as almost troublingly dull, but I have genuinely started taking notes about what I wear and what works and what doesn't on rides because it's so marginal for me and I suspect others who are listening will feel the same that carelessly choosing, for example, a slightly more windproof outer layer or a slightly thicker base that will leave me boiling through like a baked potato. Like I just suffer so badly. So with this winter, I'd encourage you to do the same if you also sweat. I really do think quite critically about what I wear. Um, and I won't bore you with specific suggestions, but a lot of it boils down to base layer choice more than anything else. Um, and yeah, that's sort of trying to go for an all-encompassing main layer, which can be accompanied with a, a sort of hardier wear layer if the weather's a bit grim. Simon, do you take the um, the typically pro approach and unless it's 20 degrees, the knees don't come out? I mean, yeah, pretty much. And and then, you know, it's usually, you know, kind of shoe covers, gloves, full finger gloves as well. I, I, I think, you know, as Jack's kind of pointed out there, I, it's, it's really important to have a, a personal approach. You know, you don't need a winter base layer just because it's winter if you don't, if you get, if you know, if you run really hot. But conversely, you know, if you, if you run, you know, this can be more a problem for me because if we were to, you know, live somewhere very hilly like the south of Wales and we did a lot of climbs and yeah, obviously I would, you know, if we were working on the hills, I would perspire in a winter base layer and a thick winter jacket. And then, the, and I have been up mountains, for example, and come down the other side and got cold from the wind chill. 
So it is really important to be wearing something, you know, like a, a good winter jacket, you know, really needs to have a zipper that you can use with full finger gloves because you really need to be able to undo that jacket when you're climbing or working hard and kind of get a bit of air in to, to dry you out whilst you're still kind of warm because that is really important. But um, but yeah, yeah, I'm definitely <laughs> I'm definitely a, a believer in really good winter kit. And if you haven't, you know, if you live somewhere cold and you haven't got a great winter kit, you know, you obviously don't have to go out when it's freezing. That it, it, You could do something <laughs> else. <laughs> Jack, is it fair to say that you would avoid a hard shell jacket unless it's raining because you want that that kind of breathable material to allow... The, the sweat to disappear from the body? Absolutely, yes. I try to avoid at all costs wearing a waterproof. It's my like last resort and it has to be rain coming from the sky. Part of this is because I, in winter, um, mudguards are a must. I will not ride a bike without mudguards in the winter because it's miserable. But, you know, if you're getting soaking wet off of the roads, even if it's not raining, you're kind of forced to wear a hard shell jacket as a result. Um, so, yeah, riding an appropriate bike for the winter does give you a bit more flexibility with what you can wear. But, yes... I always aim for a soft jacket. My actual favorite jacket at the minute is, a, and there's similar ones from Sportful and other brands, but it's like a map, sort of half windproofy outer shell with light um, uh, Polartec Alpha insulation on the inside, really breathable, good look like um, mesh panels on the side, which will give you insulation and a little bit of wind resistance, but you can dump heat really easily with a good thick zipper that you can unzip quickly. quickly. Um, but it's not overly insulating. So I tend to pair that with a really thin base layer. And then if it does start raining, I always turn to my, unfortunately soon to be discontinued, but probably for the better of the planet, Rafa Shake dry jacket, really thin, doesn't have any kind of insulating effect on its own um, and is completely impervious to rain. I think that's that's um, that map jacket that you mentioned. I'm not familiar with it myself, but I've got something from Rafa. It's a Rafa brevet long sleeve, something or other. It's got like a very light, uh, like windproof, front and front to the arms but the the back and the back of the arms um and the back of the shoulders is like a very lightweight merino wool and for like typical uk conditions where it's never particularly cold so from like four or five degrees centigrade up to maybe 10 or 12 degrees on a milder day it's perfect and as you said earlier like the base layer choice is where you really make the difference from that you could have a short sleeve base layer on a mild day or you could have a really thick winter base layer and that that one piece can get you through most conditions particularly if you accessorize and add a gilet or a, a jacket on top when it's particularly cold um any go-to items from you simon in the wardrobe yeah i always take a I always take a gilet and actually it's one of the one of the ones i put on a, as a high mileage hero my my sportful fiandre gilet is a, is a kind of mainstay of my i mean all year round kit but in the winter it's just got a little bit of water resistance it has a windproof uh, front panel but then the the kind of mesh the kind of back is very thin so it's you know still breathable has a high neck which is really good for keeping drafts out um you know, I tend to zip mine up, unlike Joe Norledge, formerly of this parish, who <laughs> is forever riding with a gilet, but always unzipped for optimal heat management over... And opt- looking cool. And looking cool. It looks very pro, very Contador 2010 Tour de France, isn't it? So yeah, so I really like, I like Jack, I really like those kind of um, soft, soft shell jackets, which have a bit of windproof on the front and then, a, you know, a kind of lighter rear. You know, if it's really cold, if it's below five degrees, I probably... Will leave the house. <laughs> well, if I'm if I have to leave the house, <laughs> then I actually often will wear a hard shell, and I'll just kind of make sure I don't work too hard, because I get so cold that I basically need that that wind resist that windproofness all over my upper body. Um, so you know they are they are de- it is definitely something 
to be mindful of because if you start working hard, you will sweat. And then that, that as Jack said, that's going to compound and potentially make you even colder. But if you're just going out for, you know, a kind of zone two ride where you're just riding endurance and, you know, not working too hard, then a hard shell can be very useful if you really suffer from the cold. But you, yeah, it, you have to kind of, you have to be careful. I wouldn't, uh, I don't understand the full science behind it. But luckily for our listeners, Tom Marvin did an excellent podcast a few weeks ago uh, about uh, waterproof tech in general. It's really, really in-depth and it's got some interesting insights into how breathable membranes work. One key takeaway from that is that the conditions in which breathable membranes will actually work is so limited. And that's partly why I avoid hard shells at all costs, because if you do get sway, it's invariable if you're me, having that sort of softer shell outer layer means you can dump all that sweat through just uh, evaporation eventually, whereas putting a hard shell on top um, makes that almost impossible. But yeah, really good podcast, one to definitely check out. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at sax.com. Yeah, we'll drop a link to that podcast. Uh, it was recorded a few weeks ago. I think it was the, the most recent podcast before this one. So you can check it out on your podcast platform, but we'll put a link into the show notes. We'll also include a link to Simon's High Mileage Heroes, one of his go-to pieces of kit, the, the Sportful Gilet, and also the uh, the UK Climbing article that Jack referenced because uh, it's a great read, so one to, one to check out. But Simon, you mentioned uh, off-air when you started uh, going out on the winter club ride, the, um, the the cafe stop, and often the, the the idea that that could be you know that could be quite a, a dangerous time to stop because if you're sweaty or if you're wet because it's raining, then you're gonna get cold, and it takes a bit it takes a little while to warm up again once you start pedaling after a cafe stop. Yeah, especially if you go in uh, like I did and think, well, I'm absolutely starving now because I'm a brand new cyclist and I've not eaten anything on this, you know. 80 mile club ride I've got another 40 miles to go home I better have you know beans on toast to make, to get home <laughs> yeah I, I, you know as you, as you say that one one thing you'll often see experienced cyclists do when they get into the cafe is kind of strip off now obviously for the rest of the general public this can be slightly annoying but there is a kind of you know method to the madness in the sense that if you keep your your windproof jacket on and your kind of soft shell jacket you know zipped up when you go into the cafe and you've got all that that sweat you know not able to get out yeah you're going to sit there and you're going to get cold and when you find yourself back on the bike when you go outside you're going that wind chill is going to hit you and you're going to suddenly get freezing cold you know as experienced cyclists i think it's easy to forget that there are a lot of uh, cycling specific pieces of kit that if you don't ride a, like a road bike or whatever you just might may never have ever have heard of but like for example on that very first club ride i had no idea what overshoes were and i went out in my summer cycling shoes and my feet just froze you know i it wasn't wet fortunately but just the kind of Obviously, summer cycling shoes are designed for breathability. <laughs> They're essentially mesh with a carbon sole. And 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 so when someone said to me, "Oh, you know, you should get some overshoes if your feet are cold," and I was like, "What on earth are overshoes?" <laughs> it turns out, you know, neoprene overshoes are kind of like wetsuits for your, for your, for cycling. And and I have I'm a very big um, I'm a connoisseur of overshoes now. I kind of like <laughs> I have my f- favorite models because I like 
you know, a lot of coverage high up my calves, and I and I have two sets of. <laughs> this is really sad. <laughs> That's why people listen, Simon. For I this have sort of wonderful insight. Two sets of decathlon uh, overshoes that I really rate. They do a five millimeter neoprene one, which has a kind of like PU coating on the outside. They're very waterproof, exceptionally warm. You know, Jack asked me about, oh, do you got these decathlon overshoes? And I said, no, they're not for you. You know, they're too warm. Jack's feet would have been sweating. But there is also a thinner option, which we've reviewed on Bike Radar, actually. Um, I think they're a two millimeter thick neoprene. And actually, I think we only gave them three stars. But for me, I think they're excellent. Um, I didn't review them. But um, they they have loads of coverage. They're really easy to put on. There's no kind of zips getting in the way. You kind of got to find what works for you, you know, as with any piece of kit. But um, yes, overshoes are an absolute must if you suffer with cold feet. Well, you've um, you've beautifully segued onto our next point, Simon, and that is the fact that cold feet will definitively ruin any ride. Jack, I know you've got a few hacks here that you'd like to share with the audience. <laughs> yes, hacks definitely is the appropriate description. Going back to that Andy Kirkpatrick um, article, best tip I've ever picked up um, online. He absolutely advocates, bear in mind he's coming from like a winter mountaineering perspective, is wearing plastic bags between a pair of socks. Um, He actually advocates specifically wearing them right against the skin, but I cannot bear that. It's just too kinky for me. But putting putting them between a pair of really thin socks rather than opting for one single really thick pair of socks is the best way to keep your feet warm in winter. The plastic bag acts as a vapor barrier. So your feet, again, like the rest of your body, probably are going to get sweaty on a hard effort, but although less so in the winter, even for me. Um, but if they do get damp, the plastic bag prevents that moisture from acting like a heat sink and letting any heat escape. It basically traps it in in a really gross, sweaty bag often. <laughs> but really, like it is unquestionably the best way to keep your feet warm in winter. Um for me, my, my preferred winter setup is a pair of summer cycling shoes. I don't I don't actually own a pair of winter cycling shoes, but the ones I have in the past I found a bit too restrictive for my gross old man feet. So I prefer to stick with my preferred winter uh, summer shoes into the winter. I then go for two thin pairs of socks with a plastic bag and then a really, really good pair of overshoes on the outside. I did have a really nice pair of grip grab knitted ones, quite similar to your... Um, Decathlon ones went quite high up the thigh, thigh, quite high up the <laughs> high, up, high up the calf. But They're really I, high. I absolutely trashed them on that Welsh ride. So unfortunately, I'm in the market for a new pair of overshoes. Um, but to plug them even further from the elements, I also like to stuff the vents in my summer shoes with blue tack. Now, most people prefer to go with uh, duct tape on the outside and inside of the vents, which does work. But I found the blue tack even better for plugging and also. Uh, just a little bit hardier. It's a little bit of a pain to remove when it comes around to the summertime, but it, I, I just personally prefer it over duct tape. I actually wrote an article on this years ago on Radar and it got got a lot of attention, I'll say that. Um, it's quite a controversial one, who knew? But yeah. Sorry, is that like a, a fit and forget thing that you do at the start of winter? Plug the, the, the vents with blue tack and then pull it out again in spring? Exactly that, yeah. Or even like into the summer, to be honest, because I've never found my shoes to be too like cold do you know what I mean like even into the summer so I prefer to have them plugged a little bit later into the season but yes fit and forget I don't think the thing is a lot of the vents in the in the kind of the the shoe sole are blocked by the inner sole yeah so I don't think it's kind of like in the summer you're not you know most of the heat from your from your from your foot is going to evaporate or you know kind of it's going to go up yeah through through the through the kind of top of the shoe rather than the bottom I think 
Yeah, I haven't. You know, despite suffering from cold feet, I haven't tried the plastic bag trick because I kind of, I'm kind of like too worried that it will work. That mm. I'll have to do it. <laughs> but it, it kind of, it grosses me out. Like on that ride we were on last week, we had a dreadful first day in the the weather. It was a great ride, but terrible weather. We woke up on the second morning in this very cold, damp hostel, and stuff had mostly dried. But we had a really, I think it was like forty ish minute kind of rolling descent down to the valley. Um, and I knew I was just going to get freezing straight away. So out came the sandwich bags, in went my feet, and I had lovely cozy feet for the rest of the day. Yeah, I'd, I'd say with feet, particularly as I've, I've at the ripe old age of 31, my feet have definitely got worse as I've got older. Feet have very bad circulation in the first place, and as you get older, generally your extremities do suffer more. Um, and this is something I pay a lot, lot more attention to because, as George said at the start, like I... It's so distracting and unpleasant to have cold feet on a ride. More so, I dare say, than hands, which are a bit easier to to bring back from the dead. But feet really is is a, a ride ruiner if they're cold. Can I give you a normal like a normal setup there? <laughs> <laughs> so, so what I find really useful is I find merino wool socks are essential because if they get wet, they don't they don't make your feet cold like cotton socks do. So I would never wear cotton socks. In, in the winter, uh, merino is... in the summer? Cotton socks? No, but you know, no, you right, know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah, a yeah. kind of, you know, you might have a poly cotton okay, or something okay. like that. I, I, I know what you mean. You're, you're, you're right. You probably wouldn't. Most cycling socks are not cotton, but some people do wear. But a merino wool sock is, is better. Obviously, something with a kind of like a, a, a more length is going to protect more of your... Uh, legs and that will you know keep hopefully keep your circulation going a bit better i yeah i do think having a kind of couple of pairs of overshoes you know one really thick one really thin is really useful Although i do recommend if you <laughs> what you you do need to watch out for thick overshoes rubbing on your cranks and you might need some a little pedal extender if you want to protect your nice cranks although if you've got really nice cranks on your winter bike maybe <laughs> you know <laughs> that's something else but yeah i i personally find that a kind of a, a really good overshoe and a good pair of merino wool socks as long as you paired them with you know some appropriate bib tights you know, lots of excellent reviews about bib tights on bikeradar.com then that's usually good enough for the kind of you know single day rides that i do perhaps if i was to do a multi-day trip like jack then i, I might have to opt for the plastic bag <laughs> you what? just you just you're horrified by the truth Simon. let's you hope let's hope i don't ever have to do yeah. a multi-day trip <laughs> Just to um, just one point to add on this, waterproof socks can be pretty good. Not something I would typically go for on a on a road ride. They can be quite thick because the the, the outer is quite thick, but you've also got the membrane inside. But if you're doing a mountain bike ride or a gravel ride where you're like sp- yeah, splashing through paddles, like like uh, Simon mentioned earlier, or like getting on and off the bike, and you might have a slightly more generous fit in a like an SBD shoe compared to a road shoe, can be really good just to like keep your feet generally pretty wet. The membranes typically quite good, and and if they do get wet, then they keep your feet quite warm as well. So I'd, uh, I would advocate for waterproof socks if you ride off-road in winter. Jack, just before we mention on, we touched on mudguards earlier. Definitely important to keep your feet warm and dry at the very least. What's your take on mudguard flaps or, or a front mudguard flap to try and keep that uh, extra bit of water off? Um, I, I'm, I'm a big advocate of mudguard flaps on commuter bikes and general utility bikes I have one on my touring bike. I just built a new wintry road bike, year-round road bike, and I'm actually ashamed to say I didn't fit flaps because I cut them out, lined them up, and I thought, well, it looked a bit naff, <laughs> <laughs> which is very unlike me. I'm normally an advocate for practicality, but if you really want to keep your feet as dry as possible and keep your friends mud-free if they're riding behind you, yeah, flaps are an absolute must. 
Um, there's loads of good companies making a nice customized one. Normally on eBay, you can get them. I like to use um, damp proof coursing. It's like four pounds for a 10 meter roll from Screwfix and you cut it up in all sorts of shapes that you want. Yeah, flaps are a must if you want to have as dry feet as possible. But like good modern mud guards that are sort of full cover do, do more than enough for me. And making your own is excellent Instagram content as well, isn't it? Well, that's what matters to me most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to our next tip. Jack, you mentioned that you're now the ripe old age of 31. So this one really rings true and it's <laughs> to protect your skin. So protecting your skin seems obvious in winter. Wear sun cream. Why winter? Yeah, yeah, in summer, absolute must. But into winter, like riding in the cold, particularly if it's dry and cold, is really, really hard on your skin. And my breathtaking youthful beauty is is absolutely no accident. So I moisturize my face, ears, and neck before any ride with like a really basic emollient. I like to use Cetraben. And an emollient, rather than a typical moisturizer, like adds a, like a protective layer on the outside. So it's not actually actively moisturizing as it were it's just sort of protecting your skin from the conditions but lips are also particularly pro- like it's nothing worse than horrible raw chapped lips after riding for hours and hours uh, in the summer i like to use burt's bees the stuff of the spf sun protection have you ever had sunburnt lips dreadful absolutely awful but for the winter i just like a good old slathering of vaseline on there to protect my wonderful soft lips but yeah into the winter it's an absolute must for me um and yeah i said at the top of this section that you should uh, use sun cream in uh, in winter obviously i meant the summer because you definitely do not need sun cream in the winter in the uk you should take your vitamin d yeah <laughs> um, but you don't need sun cream in the winter perhaps in other places we've got a worldwide audience so if you live somewhere where it is warm and sunny in the winter or perhaps at altitude then you might need that sun cream we don't want to hear about it though <laughs> we don't want to hear about it because it'll yeah. make it very it'll make us very very jealous um simon what's your skincare routine i actually don't do anything i'm kind of sad, no i mean the thing is you know you say you're oh, exposed skin in the winter like there's never a chance of me having any exposed skin <laughs> if, you know, if it's cold i'll wear a buff and you'll see me basically You'll see me in a kind of a cap. I like a winter. I got a winter cycling cap, which recently you know, Polar Tech, and it covers my ears. And then I wear an aero helmet with no vents. <laughs> and then I wear big sunglasses. And then a and then a buff, a neck gaiter to cover up up to my nose. So ideally, there will be no skin exposed to the elements if I can manage it. Right. And I, then I, if I if I need to talk, I'll pull it down. I think this sort of symptomatic, like where we are, it's not truly, truly freezing cold. I think if you're in a, in a sub-zero cycling climate, like it's an absolute must. But like even in the UK, I find I tend to like remove gloves often for climbs to avoid the old sweat. That wrecks my hands. I will caveat this by saying I've got generally quite sensitive skin, but I, I always, yeah, quite religiously moisturize before and after a ride, and it definitely pays dividends. I will say if you are riding without mud guards, first off, buy mud guards. But if you are riding for hours and hours at a time with a wet and muddy chamois, that is a surefire way to cultivate a suppurating saddle sore. So preventative butt care with chamois cream um, is an absolute must. And we've got an excellent guide uh, on to how to what saddle sores are and how to avoid them on the site. Definitely worth the read. I should say you mentioned it there, Jack. We we do live in a temperate climate, like here in the in the the south of the UK. What you might get a few days, a few rides where it's below zero. You know, as I mentioned earlier, it can go up to like 12, maybe even 15 degrees centigrade on like a, on a really mild day. Um, whenever we talk about winter or write about winter on Bike Radar, of, of course, our readers in more extreme climates always get in touch and say, that is not winter. And we hear you, but we can only talk from our experience. But do let us know your experience. Send us an email to podcast at bikeradar.com because, you know, 
we get very cold and damp winters here, and that is tough in itself, but I'm sure it's a lot tougher elsewhere. The thing is, I don't know if you know this, uh, George, but Jack's actually Scottish. Oh, yeah. Oh. And, uh, and they have, uh, I'm, I'm told... But they have quite bad winters there. So Jack is at, Jack actually does know what he's talking about. T- to be honest, I don't think the winters are a great deal worse <laughs> than, than down here. They're definitely colder, but the wetness down here brings its own unique challenges, Simon. You get plenty of snow up north, to be fair. We don't get much of it here, That's unless true. it's March. What's the, the coldest winter ride you've done, uh, Jack? Oh, I did an absolute belter of a ride in 2020. I did a really good loop around. Uh, so I grew up in a place called Creef, and I did this amazing loop over to Loch Tay, in like, I would say, sub-zero all day long, but went over this quite uh, semi-famous pass called uh, Glenquake and pushed through two miles of kind of snow at the other side and dropped down in this incredible, uh, absolutely stunning. I still think about it to this day. So I'd say minus five all day long. That was probably the best. Like copy going over the Stelvio, isn't it? It's just like that. (laughs) Apart from all the pushing and the overshoes flapping back up and everything, but it was really fun. (laughs) Yeah, it was Andy Hampston in the Giro in 1988 or something. Um, iconic. Simon, what about you? What's the coldest ride you've done? Oh, I don't know. There aren't there aren't that many. It, the, the problem is for me, like I get, you know, the, the, the most recent one I remember, we had a cold snap just before Christmas and I think I took my son to preschool in like minus, <laughs> minus five. It was only kind of three kilometres away, but I was wearing, you know, essentially thick ski gloves and a second pair of liner gloves underneath. My hands were literally within 15 minutes, my, the tips of my fingers were hurting. They were so cold. And so uh, it, it's kind of, yeah, you, 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 you're right. We do live in a, in a temperate country and, and I'm aware that our winter isn't a real winter by many standards, but... Um, it's real enough. <laughs> but, but you, you know, if, if you're kind of, yeah, if, if you're just not cut out for it or you get your kit wrong, you can still, you can still end up very cold. And I, and I have had plenty of experiences where I've just, yeah, f- frozen solid on and, and, you know, my fingers have just been in agony. <laughs> What what I would say to give ourselves some credit is that there is definitely something in having, you know, not a, three, a freezing cold winter, but a winter like ours where it is cold and wet and windy and also humid, you know, it remains humid in winter. And it gets in your bones compared to those like really cold sub-zero days that you can get elsewhere where it's like quite a dry cold. It's, it's you know, it can be challenging riding through the winter in, in the UK. So, you know, let's not be too uh, too hard on ourselves. Thanks, George. I needed to hear that. Well, let's move on to our next tip, and that is to switch up to your spares, or, or more to the point, to pay attention to your spares, because there is nothing fun about fixing mechanicals in winter. So, Simon, I'll start with you. Are there any steps that you take, or anything, um, any kind of like key bits of kit that you take with you to make sure that you're you're not kind of stuck at the road fixing a mechanical? I think I always take the, the same kind of you know multi tool spare in a tube. You know, if I'm, I'm usually running tubeless tires these days, so I take a tubeless repair kit because it's much quicker to repair a tubeless tire with a plug than it is to, you know, kind of wrangle a, a, a tight tire off a rim and, and replace the tube. Um, I, I think for me, the kind of the main thing to do is is to be kind of like doing your maintenance in advance. You know, I, I, I often think, you know, I don't have any evidence to say that this is true, but I often think that a lot of punctures are caused by the kind of the ride before where your tyres picked up a load of glass and, and rubbish, and if you didn't clean them properly and, and pick out all those little bits, then eventually it works its way into the into the inside, punctures the tyre. You know, because most tyres have a puncture protection belt, and it, it's rare for unless you hit a really big piece of glass or a fawn for it to instantly, you know, kind of puncture your tyre. But if you're not kind of staying on top, you know, especially if you've got winter tyres, if you're not staying on top of picking out those little bits of glass, eventually they do work their way in. So I, I think it, it, it's kind of that, you know, and making sure that you're bike is in good condition so that you're not going to have a mechanical or you know whatever is the kind of advice I would take because if you 
you know, if you end up with a, you know, like a really big mechanical, a snap chain or something like that, you know, I've been out on rides with people who have broken their chains on winter rides and it becomes a real hassle because then all of a sudden, you know, everyone stood by the side of the road in the kind of the wet and cold and you kind of got to work out between you what you're going to do about it. And, and not only then once that's, you know, potentially, yeah, okay, well, we can shorten the chain, get a quick link together, we can do it. But then that person's kind of stuck in one gear. That means that is, is kind of then limiting for the rest of the ride. <laughs> so it, it's kind of avoiding trying to, obviously some mechanicals are absolutely unavoidable and you should never abandon your friends by the side of the road. But as with mud guards and other things, kind of being prepared and making sure that your bike is in good condition you know, it, it's kind of, it's sensible for yourself, but it's also you know, very respectful for your fellow riders. There is nothing more intimidating than being the person who's got a mechanical <laughs> on a winter ride and, and the, the group standing there shivering at the side of the road watching you. And inevitably, if you're struggling, someone will pluck up the courage to say, do you need some help with that? <laughs> <laughs> because everyone just wants to get going. Um, Jack, are you a prevention? Uh, it's better than cure. Is that your mantra as well? Yeah, yeah, to a degree. I, I, I try to look after our bikes generally. I actually had a, some. I had an experience a couple of weeks ago. I went out and a cable slipped in my shifter, and it was totally unfixable. But I did futz with it for about five minutes, and then I was like, I'll just ride home in a single gear spider <laughs> rather than make everyone wait. I think for me, my advice revolves around if you're fortunate enough to own both a summer and winter bike absolutely audit your roadside toolkit to ensure that whatever you carry covers both bikes because not that I'm speaking from experience or anything but you know ensuring that your bike your toolkit has spanners to tighten up mudguard stays for example is probably a good idea don't be like me and end up asking around in booth wells if you can borrow an 8mm spanner but I'd also advocate checking your spares at the start of winter like if you've been fortunate enough, you've had a wonderful summer of no punctures. Who's to say that as that that inner tube has been rattled around for thousands of kilometers, that the valve hasn't worn a hole through the middle of it? Again, not I'm speaking from experience or anything. I also like to take work gloves with me on most rides because you know, particularly because I ride, most of my bikes have rim brakes. You get absolutely disgusting hands. But invariably, if you are trying to fix a puncture, you will end up trashing the gloves. But I'm so bad for remembering to replace them. But in winter, wet bike, wet rim brake tracks, like you just get disgusting hands. So ensuring your gloves are nice and fresh and hole-free is a really good one because trying to eat a sandwich with your hands covered in black gunk is quite, quite unappealing. Uh, and then I also would advocate cleaning and lubricating your multi-tool because they do get sweat, particularly if you ride from in a jersey pocket in the summer. They get quite, um, they can corrode. And if you're in sub-zero condition, stuck by the side of the road, trying to like pry open a rusty, crusty multi-tool is, is absolute torture. That's just good practice year-round. But yeah, cleaning and lubricating your multi-tool shouldn't be overlooked. Jack, you mentioned work gloves there. Is that like a thin pair of latex gloves that you can just stuff it stuff into a saddlebag? Exactly that. Yeah, I'd normally take like four of them, like quite good thick ones. I like the black mamba ones. They're very good because we have those in the work uh, the work office uh, <laughs> workshop and I just steal a few handfuls of them at a time. But yeah, take a few of those with me on most rides because, yeah, it's just horrible riding around for the rest of the day with disgusting hands. I don't carry Swarfiga with me on a ride. <laughs> so I have to. <laughs> Simon, you mentioned that you're mostly running tubeless these days. Do you um, do anything different with your tyres in winter? Do you swap your tyres in winter? Or is it a, a race tyre year-round for you? I generally don't do enough winter riding um, that I swap my tyres. I have, in, in, in the days before uh, you know, Zwift, 
I did a lot more winter riding and I had a, you know, a, a winter bike in inverted commas, which was, you know, my, an old road bike that I'd kind of had clip on mud guards and I had, it had gator skin tires on it, which I hated. And it made me incredibly sad every time I rode it, you know, not because, you know, obviously I, you know, generally didn't get punctures, but they're just, they feel terrible. And, and, you know, some, some people enjoy that kind of difference between their, winter road bike and their race bike because when you get back on you know the summer bike if you're lucky enough to have two it feels really amazing but but for me I find that modern you know I'm a, I'm a relatively lightweight guy I, I feel like I pick my line quite carefully I'm not super hard on kit and I find that a kind of GP 5000 STR or you know a, equivalent Shelby Pro 1 are generally pretty good for winter as long as you're not doing miles and miles and miles and, and riding in in places with with really rubbish roads so i think it's you know a little bit like the whole kind of the kit thing you ha- you have to be kind of like considering what what you're doing you know obviously i wouldn't go out on a set of time trial tires you know that's just asking for trouble but modern tires are generally pretty good but you but you have to manage your expectations mm, yeah so i think it's a good point though that modern tires are generally pretty good like a, a good all-round race tire should in theory see you kind of pretty good through winter but a couple of things you mentioned there line choice really important you know if if you see a a bunch of glass on the side of the road if you see a pothole don't ride into it you know (laughs) seems like common sense but uh you know you can uh, you can pick up a a couple of punctures and, and quite quickly learn from your mistakes on on that front just on traditional winter road bikes, whenever I see someone smashing about on a Ribble 7005, those like classic blue, super chunky alloy uh, road bikes, I think for a time, I remember you could buy them for like £400 yeah. for a complete bike. This was like <laughs> it was so Whenever I see someone on one of those, I'm like, you're hard. That's a hard cycling. That's a, that's a proper old school club. Mavic rider. Open Pro rims. Oh yeah. SKS blue and tools. Love it so 23 much. mil tires. Yeah, 23 mil tires pumped up to 120 psi. <laughs> no chance of punctures there. Uh, let's move on to our next point. We've we've uh, we focus quite a lot on kit as we should do. Kit choices are really important through winter. But we're going to move on to riding and training advice now. So. The, the key takeaway here is not to overdo it through winter. Winter can be tough. It's important that you keep it fun. But Simon, I want to start with you on this one because I know that it's something we've spoken about in the past that with the move to indoor training, with the rise of Zwift and other apps, actually there can be quite a big risk of burnout through winter because the intensity can be so high when you're riding indoors. Yeah, it's definitely true. And I, and I think when you're riding indoors because it's warm and you know it can be quite fun, especially like you know, with apps like Swift and and train a road like they there's often a big focus on intensity doing like intense things in a short amount of time it can be really tempting to just race swift all through the winter and 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 while that can be really good for your training if you kind of you, you know you manage it correctly there is a risk of kind of of you know as you say just just overdoing it and you might just get a bit bored of smashing yourself to pieces by the time it comes to march and then you know, you've got the rest of the summer and the year where you're kind of like, oh, I just don't know if I really like feel like doing this much intensity anymore. And I think you need, you know, you just kind of need to be careful about it is, it, you know, whilst it it might not feel like it now at the, the ripe old age of 35, <laughs> it can be a long year, you know. And and so, you, you know, whilst it's can, it's really easy to see, especially in winter when, you know, w- you know, with, with tools like Strava, they, they can be, it can be really easy to look at what everyone else is doing especially pro cyclists and be like you know oh, Wout Van Aert's logging you know eight hours you know Jack Luke is logging you know multi-day trips you know <laughs> I, I should be doing this kind of riding uh, and but like if you overdo it and this, this is especially true for me I, I often risk getting ill 
you know, so I could do, you know, a month really hard riding and then fall ill and I might not do anything for two weeks and, and, and just find myself back in square one. So I definitely think you want to be kind of, you know, ease yourself into it, start out small and, and yeah, there's going to be plenty of time for doing big, long rides during the kind of longer, warmer summer days. So, you know, obviously you do whatever you like. If you really love racing Zwift and you really love long winter rides and yeah, you know, you should absolutely do them if that's what you, if that's what you like. But yeah, do, do bear in mind that, you know, again, a good, good piece of advice from Joe Knowledge, formerly of this parish that you, you know, if you kind of think of your, you have a matchbox full of matches to burn over over a season, and if you burn them all during the winter on the turbo trainer, you know you're not going to have many left for the summer. My, my question was going to be whether there is such a thing as an easy swift ride. I mean, of course, there can be if you've got discipline. So, how do you stop yourself chasing the avatar in front when you're on Zwift? So, so Zwift. This, this is this is a common misconception. I think that Zwift solved uh, like a while ago with the addition of a, a thing called uh, like pace partners or robo paces as they call them now. And these are just kind of roving AI bots that ride around at a set pace, and you get basically double in-game currency if you stay with the group and they ride at that tempo you know plus or minus you know a couple of points of watts per kilo and so you just pick the one that you want to ride at whether it's you know zone two whatever your zone two is zone three four you know you can you can have a really hard ride if you wanted to but i basically pick the one at a kind of easy you know endurance pace and i just ride with them and and you just you you know if you looked at my power file from those rides it is just perfectly flat it is you know, as good as it gets. And and there's something, I it sounds incredibly boring. And maybe a lot of people do think that is boring, but like they're always very well populated. And there's just something about staying with the group, like you do on a winter club ride, that you, I don't want to get dropped. But obviously, like if I, if I ride too hard, I don't get the extra points because it's kind of gamified. It, it somehow works. Jack, I'll come to you next. Have you ever used Zwift? Because you're a dyed-in-the-wall winter rider. So have you turned to indoor training at all this winter? No, <laughs> not at all. I just, I'm not I'm not disciplined for one thing. And the thought of Zwift, I've talked about this in other podcasts, but the thought of Zwift to me is like training. That is training. And I'm not disciplined enough to go out, or go in rather, and and sit down and do it. Also, for me, like the great joy of winter riding is the intrigue, and new experiences and unusual weather that you get to enjoy out of doors. And to make the most of that, I do quite mindfully plan my rides. And I know Simon made jest about my wonderful three-day uh, tour around Wales, but like I, I was quite limited in what we'd planned to do. Originally, I'd, I'd looked at going from Anglesey in the north of Wales all the way down south. I was planning all these like big, huge, epic days. But then I kind of realized that like riding in winter is really hard, <laughs> really, really hard. So on our first day, we did just over a uh, hundred kilometers, and to be fair, we did have a big push over a um, like stupid gravel pass at the end. But for like a hundred k and just under seventeen hundred meters of climbing, like we did seventeen kilometers an hour. I was pretty slow for not like I, I would normally in the summer I'd expect to do like twenty five, a, a kind of more friendly pace. But winter riding, it's it's slower. You stop more often. You have to take lots of Instagram photos to make the most of the fog. It's just really, really hard work. So while we all might fancy ourselves as the lead character in some epi epic Rafa Continental <laughs> flick, like the reality is normally a lot more uh, grim. <laughs> so trying to plan less spicy days in the winter is definitely my my sagest advice of all. Someone did point this out on your Instagram, actually. It might, it might even have been Simon that there was definitely a Rafa Continental 
aesthetic to some of those pictures of, <laughs> of uh, Felix uh, riding through the fog. Yes, that was definitely part of the objective of our trip was to take lots of cool photos. And it was fun, but like that's kind of part of why I like winter riding is the the epic scenery. Like the last half of the um, the first day, we rode around Lynn which is this reservoir uh, in sort of mid Wales. And it was in the sort of gloomy half-light with this light rain, really dark blue skies with no moon visible and like rattling around these completely deserted roads with sort of peaks coming in and out of the of the, the murk it was just absolutely magical and an experience you just wouldn't have in the summer unless you want to ride to like two in the morning. But you just wouldn't choose to do that. So it's one of the reasons why I love winter riding so much is because there was, um, it's, just, it's just a totally different experience to summer riding. And... If you follow our wonderful tips, as outlined in this podcast, it can be great fun. Just before we move on to the next one, is there anything that you do just to keep an eye on the the the, the fact that you're not overdoing it through winter? Or do you just listen to your body? I, it's more about the planning for me. Like, I'm quite bad, I think, for perhaps pushing through when I ought not to. So I really do, like, take a look at what I've done in previous years or... Um, this is sort of an approach I've adopted more from my summer touring, but, like, actually taking averages of what we can do in a day, you know, given a sort of level of fitness. So like in t- summer when I'm tandem touring, I look, well, what, how far did we manage to go versus the climbing and the, the time and plan quite obsessively about it, which like to some people is the antithesis of fun. But for me, like preparing prior to the ride means I just have confidence in what we'll be able to do. That first day is a good example where like I knew for a fact we had a really like a complete push for five odd K to get to this mad hostel. It took like an hour and a half. So ensuring that the bit for the riding prior to that was manageable is something I really, really do take quite seriously. Well, let's move on to our sixth and final tip. And unfortunately, Simon, I've only left a few minutes to talk about one of your favorite <laughs> subjects. Uh, this is actually Jack's tip because it came from his article on Radar, but it's to talk through chain, lo- chain lube choice through Winter. So, Simon, we, we've spoken about on this podcast many a time that you like to wax your chains. Does that habit persist through winter? It it, it does for me because uh, I the the critical thing for me is a clean bike, and and that's what keeps your bike the kind of cleanest. Because you know, even when the kind of the lubricant gets abraded off by the harsh harsh conditions, you know that the dirt doesn't stick to your drivetrain and make it dirty. It is it is fair to say that. Um, you know, wax-based lubricants are not the hardiest. You know, they, they do tend to get abraded off by the constant spray of water, uh, whereas a, a wet lube can can be, especially a thicker one, can be more tenaciously sticky. But of course, you know, the downside is that that because it sticks to your chain, anything that hits it also sticks to your chain. So there's a kind of trade-off between, you know, lubrication and and contaminants sticking to your drivetrain and making it dirty and wearing it out. Now. I, I think my best advice would be to, you know, there's a, there's a, a great independent website called Zero Friction Cycling that tests a lot of uh, chain lubes. If you want something for like, you know, single day or kind of multi-day use where, where hardiness is the kind of absolute um, of absolute importance, then a wet, a wet lube can be better in this regard as long as it is a really high quality wet lube. And that's really important because if you get a low quality one, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of high friction, high wear, lots of contaminants are going to stick to your bike. It's going to make a big mess. It's going to be a really big clean up job. Clean up job. You're going to le- need a lot of solvents to reset your drivetrain. I think, you you know, at the end of the day in winter, it's just really harsh conditions. You kind of have to accept that you're going to have to clean your drivetrain if you want to, your parts to last. 
you know, I, I don't really worry too much about friction in terms of like, oh, it will make me, you know, two watts faster. It's more about it's managing, you know, if you've got a nice bike with nice parts in it, you don't want those things to just kind of wear out. So if you slaver it with, you know, grease or, you know, kind of cheap wet lube that just attracts a load of dirt, all of that grit is just going to turn into a grinding paste. And that's what you kind of want to avoid. Jack, what's your um, your your lube of choice through winter? Do you wax your chains? Yeah, have you are you buying wax chains off of Simon, or are you <laughs> are you a wet lube kind of guy? No, I, in the summer Simon has won me over. I don't do immersion waxing, but I do use a wax lube in the winter. No, I don't. I'm far lazier than Simon, and I don't give my bike as fastidious a clean uh, afterwards. And I generally will use a lighter wet lube, I, but but I know I'm going to have to wash my bike anyway afterwards. So the sort of cumulative grinding effect is is lower overall. No. So I, I'm not a wax chain convert throughout the winter, and I don't think I would be for the type of riding I want to. I, I just, too too much admin, not enough riding for me. I will say, you know, for a rider like Jack, if you're know, going out and doing a multi-day trip, then a wax chain lube is, is kind of really not ideal because if you need to reapply it, it is basically required that you let it dry. You know, the kind of water-based or solvent-based carrier that is in that needs to evaporate so that the wax can dry onto your chain in order to do its job and if you can't do that because you're out on a multi-day trip you know or you're you know you're like oscar for example oscar huckle one of our colleagues does mad audaxes that are kind of you know 350 400 kilometers from bristol to london through the night and and that those kind of conditions are just not you know, if he, if he needed to reapply something during during that ride to silence his chain, it, it, a wax lube just isn't going to work. And so, in that in that instance, yeah, I would recommend something like you know, I think Silka's Synergetic Lube is is supposed to be very good. I'm sure there are other options, but yeah, the the most important thing is to kind of these are both those are both wet. That's that's a wet lube. Is to kind of like do your research again. You know, what kind of riding you do, and then go based on that. We've got an excellent buyer's guide to chain lubes. Again, we'll drop a link to that into the podcast description. Do go and check that out and find the lube that works for you and your riding style through winter. Jack, just before we wrap up, are there any specific recommendations that you have when it comes to lubes or do you just reach for whatever's in the toolbox? I kind of by accident, I went on a, I was on a test ride earlier or later in 2023 and I was really trashing the drivetrain on this uh, lovely Canyon Grail and I couldn't bear the remaining 70k with a dry noisy chain. So I bought a nice coffee from a trend bike shop and bought some juice lubes wet lube i can't remember the exact one because it was fairly cheap i actually really like it they describe it as being really tenacious and sticky but i find it's kind of the opposite when you wash it but in a positive sense like it comes off quite easily it's quiet it's thin it doesn't smell weird like it's it's, it's just a good all-round lube and pretty cheap i have no idea how it would score on zero friction cycling simon but it's fine for me <laughs> Just one final question, Simon. We live in quite a wet climate. If someone lives in a dry climate, perhaps quite cold through winter, but doesn't rain a great deal, what would you recommend from a lube perspective? Well, if yeah, if you live in a dry climate, then I would 100% recommend waxing your chains because essentially you're creating a kind of solid barrier against contaminants and, and you can just extend your drivetrain life almost indefinitely if you kind of stay on top of it. You know, a fully waxed chain, you know, should last you kind of three, 400 kilometres, you know, assuming it's dry. Um... And then, yeah, you just, you know, you can top it up with a, a drip lube or, you know, re-wax re it, swap on a different chain. I would definitely recommend that. You know, if, if this is a topic that any of our listeners are interested in, there's a mammoth guide to waxing your chain on bikeradar.com. So do check that out. But, you know, 
I'm the only person in this room of dedicated cyclists who does it. So it's it's certainly not for everyone. And I, I don't I don't I don't want to kind of pretend that it's something that everyone's going to do because they're just they're not. I was just trying to find a photo on WhatsApp. I think you sent me a couple of weeks ago after your first ride on your gravel bike, which of course has a wax chain. And yeah, you, of course you were it does. absolutely thrilled with how spotless it was after a ride. Never change, Simon. <laughs> Be your true self. <laughs> I think it's fair to say that waxing chains is becoming more popular. Definitely hear more people talking about it and see more comments on Instagram and to some of our social posts with people advocating for wax chains. And yeah, really good kind of snippet of advice there to, to end it on if you are lucky enough to live in a dry climate through winter. Let's wrap up. If you do have any tips or advice that you want to share when it comes to winter riding, email us at podcast at bikeradar.com. And remember to subscribe to the podcast and leave us that rating and review. Simon, it's been great to have you on the pod. Thank you very much. And Jack, as ever, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you, George. Speak to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.